Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 8. And after Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount from on top of the mountain, somewhere near the Sea of Galilee, Jesus comes down from the mountain and large crowds follow him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You got to love the faith and even boldness, um, desperation of this leper. A lepers would have many times hid from the public or not wanted to, you know, put themselves forth like this. But this guy really wanted to be healed. And he's believing that Jesus can do it. Uh, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What a wonderful thing to come to Jesus in faith. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleaned. And immediately his leprosy was cleaned. Well, we have a miracle worker in Jesus. I mean, it, all, throughout this whole chapter, you know, after Jesus gives this profound teaching, you know, elevating many teachings and calling people to a transformed life, he is now going to prove himself through various miracles, and his fame is going to um, go through the land. And Jesus said to him, uh, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offerings that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He's trying to honor the law, and I do think Jesus wants people to see that miracles have been taking place, but he's balancing that with, you know, if his fame gets to be too much too quickly, uh, perhaps the timing of his death in a future Passover would be in jeopardy. Um, so it's a balancing act. You know, he's he's doing his ministry, he's doing his miracles, and at many times he asks people to kind of not share what happened or not paraded around because it impacted him. And if you read about this account in the chapter of Mark, it said he had to leave the city uh, after this miracle because of the, the fame that was there. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, isn't it interesting? You know, David sometimes talks to God that way, like, God, where are you? And, you know, heal me and kind of was direct with God, um, asking for God to intervene. And, you know, Jesus is responding to these people who come to him in desperation and boldness, seeking, uh, seeking a touch from God. So there's a lesson there, I think, for us. And saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy of you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, here the centurion is just trusting that Jesus can do it right where he is.
you know, makes you think what's going on behind the scenes, you know. Um, was there any other factors involved? Was he concerned about having Jesus come to his house and what that would mean in his community? Um, in this regard, Jesus is just commenting on it as an expression of faith. And, you know, so far we've seen this a couple of times already with the man uh, earlier in the chapter because he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus, there's a couple of things going on. Jesus is revealing to us that coming to him in faith matters. And number two, that he's a miracle worker. You know, it's interesting to think about um, <clears throat> what this means to us today. I mean, Jesus is not walking the earth today. Uh, if he were, I think he would do the same things he did. I think he could perform miracles the way he's performing them now. So there's this whole debate about continuationism and cessationism, meaning <clears throat> can Jesus still do these miracles today? And there are some who believe that um, spiritual gifts, things like tongues and prophecy and healing, uh, are of a different era, and that when the apostles died out, that time has ceased, and God is no longer operating in those ways today. And I don't think there's really great evidence biblically to say that God can't do what he wants to do. I mean, when you pin people down, if you say, hey, if God wants to do something, can he do it? And, you know, I think he still can. You know, now, is it, excuse me, the question is, is it to the degree today that it was in Jesus' day or was with the apostles? Is, is Are the same exact frequency of miracles and all that happening? That's a really hard question. It kind of seems not. It's kind of, to me, uh, just from, you know, my 52 years on earth, it seems to me that God still is answering prayer. God is still doing miracles, and God can do anything he wants. But it may not be happening like it did in the apostolic era or in, like, same as Jesus. But yet, that doesn't mean it can't or isn't. You know, it's also a really large world. I mean, and it, it's hard sometimes to gauge. So, like, in this era, the Holy Spirit was not in every person everywhere. and Jesus, you know, when he was doing miracles, he was doing them where he was doing them. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, wasn't doing miracles in the USA or in, you know, Europe when he was in the Holy Land doing miracles. He was only in one place at one time. Well, now the Holy Spirit is in those who believe all over the world. And God is, you know, there's books and there's stories of God doing miracles and even in your own life where you see God move and yet it's happening so is it happening possibly even more let's say let's ask that question I mean all over the world is God possibly doing more miracles now than he did in Jesus day because he's doing it all over the world <clears throat> maybe less frequently in any one place but I think there could be a case made that he's doing more now through his Holy Spirit all over the world. And, you know, we're, we're, we're asking a question that's 
kind of a mystery right now. But here's here's bottom line. I just believe God can do what he wants to do. And I don't think it's up to me to tell him what he can't do. Well, God, you don't do that anymore. Well, how, how do I know? And let, let's just say God for a season stopped doing miracles. God could do it again if he wanted to. He could start tomorrow. It's, you know, so it's it's not it's not um it's not really my decision. It's God's decision. And I don't I don't feel like we should be limiting what God is capable of doing. But anyways, let's enjoy the miracles that he's doing here. So he says some interesting things here as we go to uh I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Verse 10, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Now, my perception of when this is going to take place would be after the tribulation when Jesus comes back again and people who have rejected him, and that is going to be even Jews at that time that have not come to Christ, they're going to be cast out. But this centurion who's a Gentile, <clears throat> not a not Jew by birth, who is placing faith in Jesus, he's saying, people who place faith in me are going to be able to recline that table with me at that supper, but people who reject me will not be reclining. So Jews who don't come to Jesus are going to be cast out, but Gentiles who come to faith will be able to enjoy that supper. And at that time, you know, there's going to be a great separation uh, of believer and unbeliever, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for the unbeliever. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. And now we're just going to continue to see the power of Jesus unveil. Wouldn't it be amazing to be a disciple and just see this stuff happen? But we do have their eyewitness account, which is very special. Um, When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law sick. In bed with fever, he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Hallelujah. And she got up and waited on him. And when evening came, isn't that great, though? You know, something, she is saved or healed, and now she serves him. And there's a message there, isn't there? You know, we too have been healed, healed of our sin, forgiven of our sin, promised eternal life. And now we are to serve our Lord. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And a quote there from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant chapter. Uh, We learn in another account that, well, we see here too in verse 18, that a large crowd uh, gathered, and, and that's when Jesus said, in another gospel, he said, I must go and preach to the other towns as well. So although Jesus was here to heal and did heal, at times when there was so much coming to him and he wanted to get his message out and he was itinerant, you know, he traveled around and preached 
Sometimes he left, even though there were crowds at the door, because he had a mission to, you know, to advance. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't that interesting? You know, and Jesus didn't have a home. You know, um, he he just, for those three years anyways, he just traveled about with no, you know, really earthly possessions or home, um, just purely devoted to the mission that God called him to. You know, he, he knew his time was going to come quickly. I mean, he was only doing this for three years. And, uh, man, what a honorable God, what an honorable man Jesus was to just devote himself completely to the kingdom of God for those three years of his life. Uh, no wife, no possessions, no house, just completely committed to the mission. Um, Lord, <clears throat> permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. You know, it seems kind of like harsh, um, <clears throat> but let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. One, could have been excuse and maybe the man was trying to make it sound like he had a legitimate excuse. And we don't know the urgency or exactly the timing of that person's death and what was taking place. Um, so maybe Jesus knew what was really going on and said, listen, you know, you come follow me. Another way to look at it would be that, think about this. Jesus is only going to come by in this season for a really short period of time, as we've talked about. And it's so critical to be with him and be his witness and be his follower at that time. Um, because it was only going to last a little while. And Jesus is saying, you know what, the urgency right now is you have an opportunity to be with me. The urgency right now is to be with me because this is this is going to pass. So, uh, you know, let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, he, he may be referring to, to like those who are spiritually dead, you know, we're going to give life to people, <laughs> you know, and and it's more important that you're with me where we can give life to people who can live forever. Someone who's dead their time is gone. Uh, you know, there's nothing we can do for them. So better for you to get on board and making a difference in people's lives. So yeah, you know, a lot of times Jesus, uh, he he said things that will kind of startle you a little bit, but he's showing you the importance of living and serving for the kingdom of God there. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. I think he's purposely just showing his calm. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? What well, That was quite a comment, you know. Um, that's not something that I want to hear from the Lord. Uh, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. What a astounding thing to happen. And think about how all these things, you know, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus and they're seeing all this stuff happen. And, you know, when, when he calmed the sea right in their midst from his words, 
think of how devoted and how much they would believe in him. And one day when he said, go make disciples, live for him, because they were just like, no one else has this kind of power to do this. So part of what he was doing was on a discipleship mission. You know, this was not public, this miracle. This was to his disciples. And it had to be very convincing. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And may we follow him knowing that he is the one who is in authority. And when he came to the other side of the country of the Gardarines, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Isn't that interesting? So the see, even the demons uh, believe. And, and here the demons could recognize the Spirit of God in Jesus. Have you come here to torment us before the time? One of the things I want you to know is that look at all the, all the eschatology, all the thought about what's to come. Jesus talked about the dinner and how you know Gentiles will be able to come in who believe and the Jews will be cast out. And here now, even the demons, they recognize who Jesus is. And they even recognize that there's a future time, there's a future eschatology. And so they know much, right? But, but they need to trust in Jesus. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to <clears throat> entreat him saying, if you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. I guess they just want to do damage and destruction. And he said to them, go. And they came out and went to the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. You know, isn't this interesting that <clears throat> at this time, you know, pork is not still something appropriate for a Jew. And Jesus didn't change that in this season. The Apostle Paul in the New Covenant era taught us that it's no longer about what you eat in these Old Testament laws. But at this time, it's still not something to eat. So, you know, perhaps Jesus isn't too worried about the the pigs. Um, the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs and behold the whole city came out to meet jesus and when they saw him they implored him to leave the region isn't that interesting maybe they knew they were wicked maybe they knew they were doing things that were not honorable to the jewish faith like these herdsmen right i mean if you were uh if you were a true jew you wouldn't have a herd of pigs and maybe there's people in the city that are also a part of things that are not according to the law. And they're like, oh, man, these men lost all their their possessions, their pigs. You know, those were valuable. What if he comes into our city and sees what I'm doing that doesn't honor? Maybe I'm making an idol maker. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever it may be that I'm doing that doesn't honor the Lord, he's going to come and, like, destroy our businesses and stuff. Uh, at least that was the perception after this incident. So they're like, we don't want him to come here. Um, we don't want to come under judgment. We don't want to come under consequence for our lack of faith. So that's interesting. You know, Jesus can have that kind of an impact on people too. You know, uh, you know, some people avoid church. Some people avoid me. They'll avoid a pastor. They don't want to be 
in the presence of something that's going to make them feel convicted. They're trying to avoid conviction, and yet we really should seek conviction because it helps us to get on board with the Lord quicker and save us from destruction. But uh, I can understand, if you don't want to follow God, you don't want to be in His midst. Uh, Well, what an incredible chapter, so many miracles. Let's place our faith in Jesus and just acknowledge that we have one who has all authority, who is a miracle worker, and you know what? He's still interacting in our lives today and has a plan, not only for our future, but the future of this whole world, which very much was indicated in the passage that we were looking at today. God bless you all.